0: We continue on this morning through our sermon series, through the book of Psalms, looking at Psalm 80. As we just heard, my sermon this morning is entitled, Let Your Face Shine. In 1979, an archaeologist by the name of Dr. Gabriel Barkay and his archaeological team discovered just outside the old city of Jerusalem what is now known as the Ketef hinnom silver scrolls. These two silver scrolls, about the size of a cigarette, were found in a collapsed tomb. They were taken, they were carefully unrolled, and they were analyzed. The scrolls were written in ancient Hebrew. And they contained the words of the Aaronic blessing from Numbers 6, 24 through 26, which says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. These words were given to Moses around 1400 B.C., And they were a blessing to speak over his brother Aaron, the high priest, Aaron's sons and the people of Israel. At that time, they were preparing to enter into the promised land amidst very challenging wilderness wanderings. And that beautiful blessing was passed on. And it has been sung in Jewish homes and in Jewish synagogues for over 3,000 years. And it's been sung and spoken by Christians from the very early days of the church to the present day, 2,000 years of the ironic blessing for Christians. Now, in finding these silver scrolls, Dr. Barke found what is arguably the oldest surviving biblical inscription in existence today. Many scholars have declared it to be one of the most significant biblical archaeological finds in history. The ironic blessing. For me, the most endearing aspect of this blessing is the request that the Lord make his face to shine upon his people. What a beautiful picture that is. We have all heard the expression that a person's face will light up when they see a loved one. I picture that when I think of this blessing. I received a photo this week via text, a photo of Dave and Maddie and Eliana. And Dave and Maddie's faces were shining in this picture. This is the sort of thing we're thinking about when we talk about God's face shining, when the blessing from numbers is shared, that the Lord would make his face shine upon you. And the idea that God would look on us in that way, that his gracious blessing would be his movement towards his people, a movement of goodness and favor and grace should astound us. Three times Psalm 80 explicitly petitions God to let his face shine upon his people. Now, Psalm 80 is another one of Asaph's laments. And so let's look at this lament, but let's look at it with the God who shines his face on his people in our minds. Point number one, Israel's lament. Like the other laments that we have considered this summer already, Psalm 80 contains the four aspects of lament, a turn to God, complaints, to God, asking God for help and trusting God. In verses 1 and 2, we see the psalmist and perhaps the congregation who would have sang this song in worship, we see them turn to God. Now last week's lament in Psalm 79 had two words indicating a turn to God, but this week Asaph's turn to God includes three descriptors of God and four requests that indicates where the lament is heading. Asaph sees God as the shepherd of Israel, the leader of Joseph, and the one enthroned above the cherubim. As a shepherd, the Lord would protect and provide for Israel. As the one who leads Joseph, God would direct and safeguard Israel. And the image of God enthroned above the cherubim speaks of God's presence with his people. And it pictures God as a sovereign warrior who defends his people. And so the psalmist is turning to God. He's turning to the Lord who protects and provides, who directs and safeguards and defends his people because he is the Lord who is present with them. When God's people turn to him, that's the God they turn to. Now, the turning contains requests which point us in the direction that the lament will move. The psalmist asks God to give ear, that is, hear us, hear this lament, O God. And the next request is that God would shine forth. That is, God would manifest his grace, his favor, and his mercy to his people. Stir up your might is the next petition, a call to action from God's people to their God. And finally, at the core of this lament is the desire that God would come to save. The psalmist then moves on to complain, to complain using the God-approved means of lament. We see this in verses 4 through 6 and 8 through 13. The familiar complaining through rhetorical questions initiates this aspect of lament in verse 4. O Lord God of hosts, How long will you be angry with your people's prayers? Now again, God of hosts is a reference to God as the God of heaven's armies. And so there's this expectation of protection and safety in view. And yet, we hear from Asaph that God has fed them with the bread of tears. Meaning God has given them a steady diet of affliction and sorrow, suffering, was as much a part of their daily routine as eating a staple like bread was. And their tears are measured. The fact that their tears are measured makes it clear that God is sovereignly ordaining their suffering. And their suffering includes their neighbors. Their neighbors who look at them with contempt. Their neighbors who laugh at their expense. Then in verses 8 through 13, the the godly complaints continue. And the psalmist complains by rehearsing to God what he has done for them and how much he has invested in them so that he might be moved to save them. And this rehearsing of God's deeds is by way of allegory. And the central symbol of this quick allegory in Psalm 80 is the vine, which represents Israel. God has brought the vine from Egypt, drove her enemies out of Canaan, prepared the land for them to dwell in, and caused the vine to prosper as she has taken deep roots and filled the land. This figurative rehearsal of God's dealing with Israel is the location of another rhetorical question Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? God had planted them, God had protected them, God had prospered them, and yet now it seems that he has left them to their enemies. This allegorical complaint finishes with a final grievance. The boar from the forest ravages the vine, and all that move in the field feed on it. This is the context of their lament. They have been attacked. They have been plundered. They have been ravaged by their enemies. And as is the case with laments, the the complaints move the psalmist to now ask God to help. And we see that in verses 14 through 17. Asaph lays out his request before God. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. To see would be to see your people and act. This is Asaph's heart's desire. He is looking for, and as the nation of Israel sang this psalm, they would be looking for divine intervention for their restoration. The allegory of the vine is revisited. Have regard for this vine, the stalk that your right hand planted, because they have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. Asaph petitions God for the nation of Israel, but not just focused on the nation of Israel. His petitions also go to the surrounding enemies. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. And then there's a secondary line of requests, and it focuses on the king of Israel in verse 17. The psalmist asks that the king also be restored, that the king also be empowered. Let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Having turned to God, having complained to God, having asked for God's help, the psalmist moves to trust in God. This is the final aspect of lament, to trust in God. And it's apparent in verse 18, where we see both a vow of loyalty and a declaration of anticipation. The psalmist promises that we shall not turn back to you. It's most likely pointing to the proclivity of the Israelites to be idol worshipers. We will not turn from God to other idols. And then a declaration which trustfully anticipates deliverance and their future worship. This is what finishes the lament. Give us life and we will call upon your name. And so we see that Psalm 80 is another example of lament, a lament in which God's people through the psalmist process or help through the help of the psalmist process their pain and appeal for restoration and arrive at a place of trust in God. Now, we have very quickly this morning excavated these verses to find the lament within them, but I have left out a beautiful treasure. I wonder if you noticed what I left out intentionally. Just like those small silver scrolls that contained the ironic blessing that were found in that archaeological dig outside Jerusalem, Psalm 80 contains a beautiful and clearly important treasure for us. And I have called this treasurer the sufferer's refrain. Point number two, sufferer's refrain. This refrain is seen in verse 3 and 7 and 19. Three times the psalmist exclaims, Let your face shine that we may be saved. Commentator Dennis Tucker notes that the content of this refrain and thus the content of the whole lament is, in his words, most obviously, a plea for the restoration of the fortunes of God's people, a plea that they would be released from their present suffering and restored to the more favorable circumstances they enjoyed before. This refrain echoes the Aaronic blessing. God's people crying out for the shining favor of God's gracious presence to return to them. And this is the treasure that Psalm 80 gives to us this morning. A phrase that we can speak in times of difficulty. A phrase that we can repeat in times of sorrow, in times of trial, in times of pain, and in times of grief. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Now this corporate lament for God's favor This corporate lament for God's judgment against those who are contrary to God and those who are contrary to God's people. And this treasure of a refrain gives us a foundation from which to make an application this morning. One of the ways we can apply Psalm 80 this morning to apply its corporate lament against those who oppose God is to consider our own situation then consider our own situation as the people of God in North America. You see, we too are facing a situation that has shifted significantly. We are facing a society and a culture that has shifted just in the past few centuries from one that was generally God-fearing and God-honoring to one that is hostile and even aggressively against God. And his people. And so a corporate lament focused on the restoration of God's favor as it's played out in society and culture is certainly something we should be and expect we are considering. Yet beyond the lament, what it looks like for a Christian to pursue a restoration with tangible evidence of the grace of God and our societal structures, and in our institution is not altogether obvious or easy to figure out. How should believers, beyond a prayer of lament, how should believers approach this situation of animosity, this context of ill will we now find ourselves in? Now, answering that question is beyond the scope of how I want to apply the text today. It is beyond the scope of one sermon. It's probably beyond the scope of a series of sermons. However, since Psalm 80 raises this question, I think it's appropriate this morning to make application by considering some biblical truths that every single believer should hold tightly to as each one of you endeavor to live out this desire for the restoration of our city and our nation and our country and our society and our culture. Now, as with many things in my theological development, I have been greatly helped by theologian and pastor John Piper in thinking about this. Recently, John Piper wrote an article entitled, My Kingdom is Not of This World, The Lordship of Christ and the Limits of Government, which offers... For us this morning, some weighty truths to hold on to as we consider our situation and consider what actions we should take to remedy it. In this article, Piper shares eight exegetical reflections that support the thesis of the article, which in his words is this, that Christ intends to accomplish his saving purposes in the world without using the sword of government to support the Christian religion. Now, I'm borrowing from Piper's article some ideas. My intention is not to defend his thesis, nor is my intention this morning to give you a manifesto for action. I am suggesting that we can apply Psalm 80 and apply this theme of corporate dissatisfaction with the current state of affairs by leaning into a few of Piper's ideas from this article. The first idea that helps posture our hearts in regards to this issue is that Christ's kingdom is not of this world. However, you decide to act in regards to the plight of Christians in Canada, you must remember that when Jesus faced the powers that be in his day, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. We must resist the temptation to think and believe that this world or this nation or this government or this culture or this earthly kingdom is identical with Jesus' kingdom. It isn't. And so you may decide that you want to move your children out of public school. If you decide that, then do it knowing that Christ has said this, that his kingdom is not of this world. You may want to join some sort of protest on the street or online or by mail. Well, if you do that, do that knowing that Christ has said, my kingdom is not of this world. You may want to go on social media and declare what you feel about any particular issue, Facebook or Twitter, I guess it's called X now, or Instagram, well, do that, but do that knowing that Christ has said, my kingdom is not of this world. The second truth that should ground any actions we take in regards to our dissatisfaction with things as they now are in our society is that Christ's kingdom is invisible and spiritual in nature. Christ now rules invisibly over the spiritual family of God, and he has done this through the spiritual rebirth of his people. Whatever else you believe about the reign of Christ and what that looks like for us in our time, whatever you believe about that, you must keep in mind Even as you decide to act, you must keep in mind that Christ's kingdom is invisible and spiritual in nature. Paul reminds us in Colossians 1 verse 13 through 14 that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's a kingdom of spirituality, of forgiveness of sins, of redemption. And so remember that Christ's kingdom is foundationally a spiritual kingdom. And finally, we must lay hold of the truth. And we must hold on to it with an iron grip. That as followers of Christ, we are sojourners and exiles on earth. Peter in 1 Peter 2.11 calls the people of God, Sojourners and exiles. Paul insists that our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20. And so even as we endeavor to rectify the collapse that we find ourselves in, we must not forget that this world ultimately is not our home. As the author of Hebrews notes, the faithful followers of Jesus Jesus acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They were seeking a different homeland, Hebrews eleven, thirteen, 13, and 14. So as you wrestle with the deployment, disappointments we all experience as we see our society shift in so many ways that we disagree with, and in fact, in many ways that we abhor, and as your heart yearns for restoration, and as you decide what it looks like for you to act in light of all of this, then you can apply Psalm 80 by resolving to walk a path that you think is wise. Note that I haven't told you what you should do or shouldn't do. But that as you decide to take a path that seems wise, do so with a heart that is informed. A heart that is informed by the truth that God, that Christ's kingdom is not of this world, that Christ's kingdom is invisible and spiritual in nature, and that as followers of Christ, we are sojourners and exiles on earth. We conclude this week by considering how Psalm 80 directs our gaze, not just to the face of God, but specifically to the face of Christ. Point number three, Christ's presence. There are four images in Psalm 80. In fact, there's more than four images, but there are four images in Psalm 80 that I want to talk about this morning which point our attention to Jesus Christ and to the gospel of the salvation that he accomplished. These four images in Psalm 80 pertain to God's redemptive provision for Israel. And yet they are a precursor to God's ultimate and final redemptive provision through Christ. The images are the vine, the shepherd, the son of man at God's right hand, and the shining face of God. In the Old Testament, Israel is referred to as a vine. We have seen this in Psalm 80. Israel is the vine that God transplanted from Egypt to the promised land. And there she flourished because God had prepared the soil for her. But after flourishing, she fell. We see this allegory, this symbolism in Jeremiah. Jeremiah describes the fall. He says, yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? That's Jeremiah 2.21. Jesus himself confirms this figurative way of speaking of Israel in his parable of the evil tenants in Matthew 21. In John 15, however, Jesus makes an astounding claim. I am the true vine. John 1. Among the many things this teaching of Jesus conveys is the very profound truth that Jesus is the source of spiritual life and Jesus is the source of spiritual fruit. We cannot find this in ourselves. It comes from outside of us. It comes from Jesus Christ. Ultimately, our salvation will be found in him. He said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he was thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. This John 15 verses 4 through 6. The image of the vine that we see in Psalm 80 reminds us of Christ. And it reminds us that if we are to find salvation, we will find it in Jesus Christ, or we will not find it at all. Asaph also refers to God as the shepherd of Israel. He was their protection and their provision. And as we look to the New Testament, we encounter another I am statement from Jesus, that helps us to see him in Psalm 80. John 10, 11, powerfully draws our eyes to Christ when he declares, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so the image of the vine helps us see that salvation will be found in the true vine, Jesus Christ. And the image of the shepherd confirms this. It will be Christ who protects us. It will be Christ who provides for us. But this image of the shepherd also supplies us with the means by which we are saved. The gospel is the good news that the good shepherd will save us by laying down his life for us. Jesus did this. Jesus laid down his life. Even as we celebrated this morning at the communion table, Jesus laid down his life on the cross, where he died in our stead. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says, for our sake, for our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The image of the shepherd in Psalm 80 follows the path of redemptive history. And it brings us to the good shepherd of John 10, where we see that Christ is the shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. With Psalm 80's reference to the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself, we have yet another image that I expect almost everyone connected to Christ. More than 80 times in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to by himself and others as the Son of Man. Now, Jesus being the Son of Man indicates that the divine Son of God became human. That's part of the picture. But it also indicates that Jesus is the exalted figure of Daniel 7. Let me read that for you. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The good shepherd would lay down his life in a sacrificial death. That good shepherd is also the son of man the man at God's right hand. And he is given dominion and glory and a kingdom and the service of all people, nations, and languages, and his kingdom will last forever. Well, further, this son of man of Psalm 80 is also God's right-hand man. And we read about that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 21. Paul says, for this reason... What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Jesus is the son of man. Jesus is God's right hand man. Now the image of the vine reminds us that salvation is found in Christ. The image of the shepherd reminds us that our salvation comes through his death. And the image of the son of man at God's right hand reminds us that Christ defeated death. And now he sits enthroned in glory at God's right hand where he reigns and he will reign forever. The final image of Psalm 80, the shining face of God, repeated several times as we've seen in Psalm 80. This casts our eyes once again to the glorious Son of God. See, Jesus Christ is how we avail ourselves of the shining face of God. The repeated desire of the psalmist is that God's people would see God's shining face. Let your face shine that we may be saved. And this image of the shining face of God, shining with grace, shining with favor, shining with mercy, and shining with salvation, it is brought to bear on us by Paul in the second letter to the Corinthians. Chapter four, verse one through six. Paul writes, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what is Paul saying here? Paul indicates that salvation is not received because unbelievers have been blinded by Satan to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And this light, I would argue, is the same light of verse 6, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And so, the good news of salvation is experienced when one sees God's glorious light. Well, where is the light of the glory of the gospel but is seen? Where is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God to be seen? The last phrase of verse 6 tells us it's seen in the face of Jesus. Praise God. When we read of Asaph's desire, When we read of the nation of Israel's desire to find salvation in the shining face of God, the Apostle Paul tells us in the New Testament where we can see it. We can see it in the face of Jesus. Salvation is found in Jesus. We see God's glory in the face of Jesus when God removes those blinding scales from our eyes. So if you're here this morning and you do not believe, you're not a believer, then salvation is not yours. God's face is not shining on you. And yet, if you pray to God that he would open your eyes and having your eyes opened, you will believe in Jesus and trust in his work of salvation through his death and his resurrection, you will be saved. And so I encourage you, if that's you, to do that this morning. Pray to God that you would see his glory in the face of Jesus. And if you need help, ask us. We'd love to talk to you about that. The image of the vine and the image of the shepherd and the image of the Son of Man at God's right hand, and the image of the shining face of God, all draw our attention from Psalm 80 to Christ, because he is the one in whom we find salvation. Psalm 80 is lament, a lament for the salvation of God in the midst of sorrow and suffering, a lament that he might restore his people, And brothers and sisters, we certainly need to continue to grow in this discipline of lament. And even as we do that and as we look for restoration in our day, we need to pursue that restoration, holding on to the truths about Christ and his kingdom. And finally this morning, as we see these images in Psalm 80, we see in them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is our salvation through his death, through his resurrection, through his reign, and through his eventual return. And through Jesus, God shines his face towards us. And we can see it by gazing into the face of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray, Father God, that you would continue to help us to grow in the discipline of lament. We thank you for these examples that we find in the book of Psalms that teach us how to process our pain, how to move through that pain to a place of trust in God and i pray that father god that as we encounter them it will continue to encounter them lord willing this summer that we would continue to grow in this discipline i pray father god that as we struggle with our dissatisfaction of our current context as far as it relates to how our society and culture and country perceive you i pray father god that you would help us to navigate those things i would Pray, Father God, that you would help us to take action in regards to that. And I pray that as each one takes action, they will do to do so holding on to the, the truths we know of Christ's kingdom, that it's not of this world, that it's a spiritual kingdom, and that we are sojourners and exiles on this planet. I pray most of all, Father God, that you would continue to help us to look to Christ, that you would continue to help us to gaze into the face, as it were, of Jesus, who shines your glory and your salvation, that we might say with the psalmist, let your face shine and save us. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.